Let's see this coming. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Year of Polygamy podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay. And now is a good time to remind you that this podcast is meant to go in order. So if you're one of those wicked devils who is skipping around, you need to repent, back up, and start in episode one. The context really helps you understand what we're talking about. Today, I'm excited to start a new project that I think is pretty remarkable. You know I'm a history nerd. I love this kind of stuff. And Mormons are a record-keeping people, and we're really, truly lucky in that fact. We also have a treasure trove of sermons left behind by frontier leaders. The Journal of Discourses, of course, is one of the major ones, but we have things like the Joseph Smith Papers Project that shows that there's more than just the Journal of Discourses. I've often quoted from uh, this kind of source material before, but then I got this idea. What if we try and record these sermons as if we were listening to them ourselves? Because here's the thing. When you're Mormon, you spend decades of your life listening to your Mormon leaders talk. That's just part of the gig. I've spent hours and hours listening to contemporary Mormon leaders speak their sermons at pulpits, at general conference, or at firesides and things like that. And there really is something different about the spoken word. You know, we quote these sermons a lot. They're quoted in books. We read them or people take them out of context. You know, the little salacious quote of Brigham Young said something terrible and put it on a meme. But I wanted to see what it looked like in this sort of context. So as an experiment, I had a friend read me one of Young's sermons out loud. And it was kind of a crazy experience. All of a sudden, I was transported. New meaning and life came to this sermon. Little jokes and turns of phrases that were previously lost in the text emerge when someone is reading these. It's no secret that I don't like Brigham Young. I like his sermons even less. And yet, I have to admit, after hearing it delivered, I'm forced to view it with some different eyes. I think I began to see what he was trying to do with his doctrines in a way that I didn't understand before. And that doesn't mean I agree or accept or believe in in what he's saying. I just think I began to view Brigham Young as a more three-dimensional character. So I'm hoping you can have a similar experience. I'd love to hear your feedback. I'm going to try to publish these once a month. They take a little bit more work. So if you like this project, please support it financially. I want to be able to pay the actors in the future doing the readings. So if you want to give a donation to yearplugme.com, then hopefully we can pay people for their work. I'm still looking for someone with a hint of an Irish accent, just a hint, not over the top. So if you'd like to read for this, reach out because I still need that. Okay, now for this sermon. Let's get into the context of this particular sermon. Really quick, I want to thank Joe Geisner, Will Bagley, Brian Buchanan, and Claire Barris for digging up the context of the sermon for me. And the actor today reading for Brigham is the delightful Micah Nicolaisen. He founded the A Thoughtful Faith podcast, so you might recognize his voice. He actually really got into this. He studied for the role, adding the 19th century pronunciations that people from Boston would have had, just like Brigham Young. The sermon is called Plurality of Wives, the Free Agency of Man. It was delivered in Provo, in the Bowery in Provo, on July 14, 1855. The Bowery in Provo was like a makeshift tabernacle, so it's really outside. And what's remarkable about this is uh, it's really windy and loud outside. So sometimes Young would have to pause or yell over the wind. So he's yelling. And Micah actually adds this into the reading, and it's just wonderfully fun. Here's some other items that occur in July before this discourse was given. So that same month, on July 4th, Hosea Stout gives a sense of what many saints might feel, that they are patriotic, yet they're outcasts of the USA. So they're struggling with this new identity. 
Brigham Young reports that he was really happy hearing a lecture on concubines. It inspired him. There's some Kingdom of God references about protecting females, and um, there are threats of blood atonement that start emerging in this time period. Uh, Young is really worried about retaining his governorship, and so he incorporates a lot more blood atonement threats in his sermons. And the quorum is having some serious discussions about recent events, including the government. Again, we're leading into the, the Utah War, so... This is when, from 47 to 55, the jig is up and the government's really starting to put pressure on it. This particular sermon was part of what was, I guess, a three-day conference. Um, and so this is, just, this is just one sermon that would have been given. After the sermon, the next day, Wilford Woodruff would report, quote, There is a strange spirit in Provo. Many do not pray and have the Spirit of God. In the commencement of the meeting, it was very hard work to preach. The people seemed cold and indifferent, and it seemed as though they expected the presidency in 12 to bring oil enough in their lamps to fill all lamps of 3,000 people and have light enough for them all without their bringing any themselves, end quote. Also, Geisner and Bagley note that in this context, Brigham Young uses a word called the royal priesthood. He equates the phrase royal priesthood most often with plural marriage. He would actually give several lectures around this time conflating the terms, and then they sort of disappear from, from the rhetoric. So... Anyway, I'm going to bring you into the Bowery. I want you to close your eyes as you're listening to this. Pretend now that you are an observer um, watching this Frontier Conference happening in Provo. It would have been dusty and very windy and hot. It's July. People are sweating. They've been sitting in this hot Bowery with the wind blowing around them for three days. So close your eyes and see if you can sort of get the feeling and the gist of what Brigham Young is trying to tell the people here. I have a few words to say concerning one item of doctrine that I seldom think of mentioning before a public congregation. I refer to the doctrine pertaining to the raising up of a royal priesthood to the name of Israel's God, for which purpose the revelation was given to Joseph concerning the right of faithful elders in taking to themselves more than one wife. I frequently hear from others that this doctrine is laughed at and ridiculed, even jeered and sneered out of a bishop's house. I am not personally cognizant of anyone jeering at and deriding this doctrine. Still, I hear that there are some few who are opposed to it. Once in a while sentiments reach my ears which sound very curious and strange, and when I hear them I do really wish that some were possessed of better sense. I will therefore tell you a few things that you should know. God never introduced the patriarchal order of marriage with the view to please man in his carnal desires nor to punish females for anything which they had done. But he introduced it for the express purpose of raising up to his name a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. Do we not see the benefit of it? Yes, we have lived long enough to realize its advantages. Suppose that I have the privilege of having only one wife. I should have only had three sons, for those are all that my first wife bore whereas I now have buried five sons and have 13 living. It is obvious that I could not have been blessed with such a family if I had been restricted to one wife, but by the introduction of this law, I can be the instrument in preparing tabernacles for those spirits which have to come in this dispensation. Under this law, I and my brethren are preparing tabernacles for those spirits which have been preserved to enter into bodies of honor 
and be taught the pure principles of life and salvation. And those tabernacles will grow up and become mighty in the kingdom of our God. I believe that our children will become mighty in faith, be powerful in defending the truth, and will soon have to take important places in the great work of this dispensation. They may be rude at present, yet you will find within them the true principles of Mormonism. And when our sons become men, they will be men of God and be useful in accomplishing a good work upon the earth. The spirits which are reserved have to be born into the world, and the Lord will prepare some way for them to have tabernacles. Spirits must be born even if they have to come to brothels for their fleshly coverings. And many of them will take the lowest and meanest spirit house that there is in the world rather than do without and will say, let me have a tabernacle that I may have a chance to be perfected. The Lord has instituted this plan for a holy purpose and not with a design to afflict or distress the people. Hence, an important and imperative duty is placed upon all holy men and women and the reward will follow. For it is said that the children will add to our honor and glory. It hurts my feelings when I see good men, men who love correct principles and cling to the counsels of the church, who have lived near to God for years and have always been faithful with not a child to bear up their names to future generations. And I grieve to reflect that their names must go into the grave with them. It would please me to see good men and women have families. I would like to have righteous men take more wives and raise up holy children. Some say I would do so, but Brother Joseph and Brother Brigham have never told me to do it. This law was never given of the Lord for any but his faithful children. It is not for the ungodly at all. No man has a right to a wife or wives unless he honors his priesthood and magnifies his calling before God. I foresaw when Joseph first made known this doctrine that it would be a trial and a source of great care and anxiety to the brethren. And what of that? We are to gird up our loins and fulfill this just as we would any other duty. It has, it has been strenuously, it has been strenuously urged by many that this doctrine was introduced through lust, but that is a gross misrepresentation. This revelation, this revelation which God gave to Joseph was for the express purpose of providing a channel for the organization of tabernacles for those spirits to occupy who have been reserved to come forth in the kingdom of God and that they might not be obliged to take tabernacles out of the kingdom of God. We are commanded to overcome all our lustful desires, also our pride, selfishness, and every evil propensity that pertains to the flesh to keep the commandments of God and all the commandments pertaining to the holy priesthood. It is important that we get a victory over our earthly passions and learn to live by the law of God. I am aware that care and other duties are greatly increased by the law which I am remarking upon. This I know by experience. Yet, though it adds to our care and labor, we should say, Not my will, but thine, O Lord, be done. As far as my acquaintance extends, the brethren who have entered into this order with a pure heart have enjoyed full as much worldly prosperity as they did before the prophet Joseph revealed this holy law and order to the Latter-day Saints. The Lord intended that our family care should be greater. He knew they would be, yet he is able to bless us in proportion. I know quite a number of men in this church who will not take any more women because they do not wish to take care of them. 
a contracted spirit causes that feeling. I have also known some in my past life who have said that they did not desire to have their wives bear any children, and some even take measures to prevent it. There are few such persons in this church. When I see a man in this church with those feelings and hear him say, I do not wish to enlarge my family because it will bring care upon me, I conclude that he has more or less of the old sectarian leaven about him and that he does not understand the glory of the celestial kingdom. Says one, how will you explain this to me? We understand that we are to be made kings and priests unto God. Now if I be made the king and lawgiver to my family, and if I have many sons, I shall become the father of many fathers. For they will have many sons, and their sons will have sons, and so on, from generation to generation. And in this way, I may become the father of many fathers, or the king of many kings. This will constitute every man a prince, king, lord, or whatever the father sees fit to confer upon us. In this way we can become kings of kings, and lord of lords, or fathers of fathers, or princes of princes, and this is the only course. For another man is not going to raise up a kingdom for you. If I did not feel disposed in my poverty to enlarge my family and to build up the kingdom, I could not be acquainted with the difficulties thereof. Neither should I be counted worthy to enjoy the blessings conferred upon those who are faithful. This should be the view taken on this matter by the whole of this people. And when a man or woman sees that this principle should be introduced among the Latter-day Saints, they should cease their murmurings. It is not through lust that men and women are to practice this doctrine, but it is to be observed upon righteous principles. And if men and women would pay attention to those instructions, I would promise in the name of the Lord that you would never find them lustful in their dispositions, and you might watch them as closely as you pleased. Plurality of wives is not designed to afflict you nor me, but is proposed for our exaltation in the kingdoms of God. If any men had asked me what my choice, when Joseph revealed that doctrine, provided that it would not diminish my glory, I would have said, let me have but one wife, not because it is not a great comfort to me to have children, but if I have not children, I know them not. Some of these, my brethren, know what my feelings were at the time Joseph revealed the doctrine. I was not desirous of shrinking from any duty, nor of failing in the least to do as I was commanded. But it was the first time in my life that I had desired the grave, and I could hardly get over it for a long time. And when I saw a funeral, I felt to envy the corpse its situation, and to regret that I was not in the coffin, knowing the toil and labor that my body would have to undergo. And I have had to examine myself from that day to this, and watch my faith, and carefully meditate, lest I should be found desiring the grave more than I ought to do. You will probably wonder at this, and that such should have been my feelings upon this point, but they were even so. Now, if any of you will deny the plurality of wives and continue to do so, I promise that you will be damned. And I will go still further and say, take this revelation or any other revelation that the Lord has given and deny it in your feelings, and I promise that you will be damned. But the saints who live their religion will be exalted, for they never will deny any revelation which the Lord has given or may give. Though, when there is a doctrine coming to them which they cannot comprehend fully, they may be found saying, The Lord sendeth this unto me, and I pray that he will save and preserve me from denying anything which proceedeth from him, and give me patience to wait until I can understand it for myself. Such persons will never deny, but will allow those subjects which they do not understand to remain until the visions of their minds become open. 
This is the course which I have invariably pursued, and if anything came that I could not understand, I would pray until I could comprehend it. Do not reject anything because it is new or strange, and do not sneer nor jeer at what comes from the Lord, for if we do, we endanger our salvation. It is given to us as agents to choose or refuse, as S.W. Richards has set before you. But we are agents within limits. If it were not so, there would be no law. There are limits to agency, and to all things, and to all beings, and our agency must not infringe upon that law. A man must choose life or death, and if he chooses death, he will find himself abridged, and that the agency which is given to him is so bound up that he cannot exercise it in opposition to the law without laying himself liable to be corrected and punished by the Almighty. A man can dispose of his agency or of his birthright, as did Esau of old, but when disposed of, he cannot again obtain it. Consequently, it behooves us to be careful and not forfeit the agency that is given to us. The difference between the righteous and the sinner, eternal life or eternal death, happiness or misery is this. To those who are exalted, there are no bounds or limits to their privileges, their blessings have a continuation, and to their kingdoms, thrones, and dominions, principalities, and powers, there is no end, but they will increase through all eternity. Whereas those who reject the offer, who despise the proffered mercies of the Lord, and prepare themselves to be banished from his presence, and to become companions of the devils, have their agency abridged immediately, and bounds and limits are put to their operations. The power of the devil is limited. The power of God is unlimited. Therefore, let us be cautious how we use our liberty and agency, and be careful to choose that which is good and right before the Lord, and then our exaltation is sure. The song you just heard is called My Disguise by Mikkel Douse. Her album is available for purchase on iTunes or Apple Music. Thanks for listening.